Now, if you're a regular attender here, uh, welcome. I'm so excited to celebrate uh, the joy of the resurrection with all of you. Um, as is usual on Easter, we also have a lot of guests, and I just want to say welcome to all of you. Uh, it's great to have you with us to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And just so you have a, just a snapshot of what we're about as a church, our mission statement states that we want to give every individual an accurate picture of God through helping people who believe become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's what we're about as a church, and we believe the, most, uh, the, the clearest place where we get that accurate picture of God is in the Word of God, the Bible, and so we spend a lot of time in our services and our times together opening, reading, meditating on, talking about, teaching the Word of God, and so as you see this morning, we'll be spending some time that way as well. Now, we have some kids with us, probably not as much at this service as we're going to later, um, but I want to say welcome to all of you that are the little ones that aren't usually with us. Uh, good to have you with us. Good to see some squirming in the audience, uh, moving around, stuff like that. And kids, I, I need your help, okay? So I just want you to help me out. Now, most of the service, I want you to be quiet, but for one time this morning, I just want you to be kind of noisy, okay? Because I want to teach everyone the, the traditional Christian greeting on Easter goes like this, is that someone, the first person greets and says, he is risen, and then the reply is, he is risen indeed, Okay, so kids, I want you to start by, I'm going to say he is risen, and as loud as you can, I want you to say he is risen indeed. You ready? Okay, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Okay, I think the rest of you need to help him out. Are you ready? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. It feels so good to hear that this morning. Now, the reason that we start that way, the reason that we greet each other on Easter, is because the reason that he is risen is because of what we celebrated on Friday. But on Friday, we came together and we celebrated Good Friday. We celebrated the death of Jesus. And that's kind of a weird thing to say, right? To celebrate the death of Jesus. But for those that weren't here on Friday, I want to just go back for a little bit and talk about what, why we celebrated the death of Jesus and what it was that we talked about on Friday. You see, the amazing thing about Good Friday and Easter is that they are the climax of the most amazing story that's ever been told. You see, this story begins with God creating the world, that before anything existed, there was God, and he created the world, and he made all the amazing things that we see. He made that amazing, almost full moon that we saw last night. He made all the stars in the sky. He made the plants and the animals, and he made all these amazing things. And then, as the pinnacle of God's creation, he made mankind. And the reason mankind was the pinnacle of his creation is because God made mankind to be this special mirror that can reflect the glorious character of God. He said he made him in his image, in his likeness, he made us. And he made us to, to be able to show forth his glorious character to the world. But as with all stories, there's a tension that drives this story forward. And that tension comes very soon after creation. You see, in this story, the story of all stories come from, comes from the fact that the first humans chose to rebel and disobey the one command that God had given them. And the results of that disobedience have been cataclysmic. For kids, that means really bad. Really bad. You see, relationship and friendship has been turned into estrangement and enmity. Innocence and peace has turned into guilt and fear. Esteem and joy has turned into shame and sadness, cataclysmic, the, the implications of that disobedience at the beginning. But all of the horrific things that we see around us today, all of the sickness and the death 
and the destruction and the enslavement and the addiction and all the things, all the bad things that we see around us today came from that beginning. And that's what drives the story forward. You see it as a result not only of their disobedience and their rebellion, but of the ongoing choices of rebellion that humans have made throughout history, including you and me. That that's where all of that comes from. And the reality is that that isn't even the worst part. You see, the worst part is that all of that disobedience has resulted in the fact that now it's not just that there's destruction and death and all those horrible things, but that God's anger is upon us for our disobedience. And that's the tension that then we're stuck with. But from the very day of that rebellion, the very day that the first human said, you know what, God, we're going to disobey you, God put into place a rescue plan. And that rescue plan has been playing out through history. A rescue plan that is a way to fix all of it. Not just a way to get some of us to him, but a way to fix everything. The death, the destruction, all of it to make it right again. To make it the way that he wanted it from the beginning. And you see, he put that rescue plan into place so that he could free us from not just the estrangement and the the anger and the destruction and the addiction and all those things, but a way to rescue us from him a way to rescue us from his anger. And that rescue plan began by calling a man named Abram, a man who was a pagan living in another land, and God said, Abram, I'm going to take you somewhere else, and I'm going to call you Abraham. And then I'm going to make from you a people, a special people for myself, because this special people are going to be the ones through whom I'm going to bring my rescue plan to the rest of the earth. And so he set him apart, and he took from that one man, and he made this, this huge nation, that was supposed to be the source of redemption and salvation and rescue for the rest of the earth. But the problem was that nation itself just went down into debauchery and sin and disobedience to the point where they needed to be rescued themselves. Right? It's kind of like, what do you do when the fire station's on fire? Who do you call? Right? Well, if there's another fire station in town, it's easy. But assuming you only got one, there's no one to call, right? That was the problem, is that those who, they were supposed to be the source of rescue and redemption. And this is where the most astonishing part comes about. Because into that problem, into that problem, God does the most amazing thing. He sends his very own son, God in the flesh, God incarnate, to come and to bring about that redemption, to come as one through Israel to be the one who would bring about the redemption that they were failing to be able to do. And so he sends his son to come into the world, to dwell in the world, and to bring about that rescue plan. And the culmination of that rescue plan is what we celebrate this weekend. Because see, on Friday we celebrate the reality that at the brutal death by crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, our first enemy, which is sin, was vanquished. That he had victory over sin at the cross, and that's what we celebrate on Friday. That all through all that rescue plan was leading up to that moment when Jesus would hang on the cross and sin would be paid for, and that he would vanquish that enemy You see, in a letter that he writes later in his life, the Apostle Peter, who had walked with Jesus for so many years, he writes about the precious price that was paid for this victory. He writes this. He says, You were ransomed. You were set free from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold. You see, the ransom that was paid for us wasn't with money. It wasn't with silver or gold. But he says, but it was with the precious 
blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. That's the price that was paid for that victory. God's very own son's death was the price. And then as if it wasn't shocking enough that he would do that, he says, that's just the beginning of my rescue plan. Wait till you you see what I do on Sunday. Because on Sunday, the astonishing thing is that Jesus came back to life after that death. After three days in the tomb, he comes back to life. And that awe-inspiring resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is where our other enemy, death, is vanquished. You see, so the culmination of that plan comes to the point where what we celebrate this weekend. And through his death and resurrection now, he has made possible the complete rescue and redemption and fixing of all things. As Colossians 1, Paul writes to us and says, For in him, that is in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Now the question we've been asking both at our Good Friday service and what we're going to ask this morning is how do you respond to the death and resurrection of Jesus? You see, and in doing so, what we've been doing is we looked on Friday at several witnesses to his death and how they responded and asked ourselves how do we respond? You see, we first we looked at Peter who although he'd been one of Jesus' closest friends, he denied knowing him when things got dangerous, right? When things got sketchy, when Jesus got arrested, Peter all of a sudden says, yeah, I'm not so sure I want to admit I know this guy. And that's how some of us respond to Jesus. We know him, but sometimes we're shy about saying anything about it. You see, at times we're all like Peter. And then we looked at another person. We looked at this guy named Barabbas. Barabbas, who was in prison for murder at the same time that Jesus was arrested. And the governor chose, the governor Pilate chose to release Barabbas and instead put to death Jesus. The one who was innocent was crucified. The one who was guilty was set free. And you see, for us, for those that are believers in Jesus Christ, we're just like Barabbas. Those that were guilty get set free because Jesus, the innocent one, was crucified in our place. You see, we're not all just like Peter, but we are also like Barabbas. And then we talked about a third person, that is Pilate, the governor who actually made this choice, who, although he couldn't find any charges against Jesus, he couldn't find any reason that he should put him to death, he gave in to the pressures of the crowd and allowed Jesus to be humiliated and spit on and flogged and ultimately crucified, even though he knew he was innocent. And there are times that we side with Pilate, that in the face of the pressures of the crowd, we say, yeah, whatever, I'm not going to fight for truth. I'm just going to give in to the pressures of those that are around us. So we are all like Peter, we are all like Barabbas, and at times we are all like Pilate. Now today we're going to look at three more characters and how they responded to the resurrection of Jesus. And the question I have for you is how do you respond to the resurrection of Jesus? So with words from the Gospel of John, chapters 19 and 20, I want us to meet our first witness, a woman by the name of Mary Magdalene. So please turn your attention to the video screens. I am Mary Magdalene. When Jesus died, there were many women there, looking on from a distance. We followed him there from Galilee, ministering to his needs. Among them were me and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. 
When it became evening, a man, a rich man, came from Arimathea, named Joseph, also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body. Then Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph then took the body and covered it in a clean linen shroud and had it laid into his own fresh tomb that he had cut into the rock. He and many men then moved a great stone across the entrance and went away. The other Mary and I were there, sitting across from the tomb. Now on the first day of the next week, I came back to the tomb very early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So I ran and went to Simon, Peter, and John and told them, they've taken away the Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Then John and I went out to the tomb. We were both running together, but John outran me and reached the tomb first. And stooping down to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he didn't go in. Then I came, following him, and went into the tomb. I saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, was not lined with the linen cloth, but was folded up in a place by itself. Then John also came in, and he saw and believed. For as yet I did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then John and I went back to our homes. But I, Mary, stood weeping outside the tomb. And as I wept, I stooped to look inside the tomb. And I saw two white angels where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to me, Woman, why are you weeping? I replied, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Another said, woman, why are you weeping? Whom do you seek? Supposing him to be the gardener, I replied, if you've carried away my Lord, please tell me where you've taken him, and, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to me, Mary. I turned and replied in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. He said, Mary, don't cling to me, for I have yet to ascend to my father. Go to the brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father, your father, to my God and your God. So I went to them and told them, I have seen the Lord, and he has said these things to me. Just imagine Mary, heartbroken, defeated by the death of her Lord comes to the tomb and she is the first witness of the risen Jesus. She wants to cling to him. She wants to never let go of him again, right? She's lost him once. She doesn't want to lose him again. And yet Jesus has a job for her. He tells her 
Her job is to go and tell. And I just want to tell you today that one of the responses that Jesus wants from us as we look at the resurrection is for us to go and tell. See, imagine Mary, when her weepings turned to joy, right, as she sees Jesus, do you think she kind of casually walked away, said, oh, I guess I'll go tell the disciples. Yeah, it's kind of, kind of a good thing, I guess. Jesus is risen from the dead. He's not, not dead anymore. I guess I'll go tell him. Woe is me. I got to go tell someone that Jesus raised from the dead. No, she would have been just filled with joy, right? Jesus is alive. The one We thought he was dead. We thought this was all done, and yet he's risen from the dead. And she would have gone and joyously shared, but somehow we as followers of Jesus see it as a burden to go and tell people that he has risen from the dead. What has happened? You see, the joy of today is something that should overflow in the course of our lives. That one of the responses to the resurrection as those that are followers of Jesus Christ is the joy in the reality that Jesus has risen from the dead should daily wake us up and get us excited about telling others about what has happened. What will you do as you are confronted with the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Will you... Be like Mary. Will you overflow with exuberant joy and go and tell? We should all be like Mary. That was quick. As we, uh, as you think about Mary, they were just about 30 seconds too soon. I'd like you to meet our second and third witnesses with words from the Gospel of John, again, chapter 20. Let's meet Peter and Thomas, and I want you to especially focus on Thomas this time. I am Peter. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where we, his disciples, were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among us and said, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed us his hands and his side. We were so happy to see our Lord. He said to us again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. I'm Thomas, one of the twelve, called Twin. I, I wasn't there when Jesus came, so... The other disciples, they told me, we've seen the Lord. And I told them, unless I see in his hands the marks where the nails were, or I place my fingers into his side, I will never believe. So eight days later, uh, all the disciples were inside again. And although the doors were locked Jesus came and he stood among us and he said peace be with you then he said to me here place place your fingers in my hands and put your hand into my side Do not disbelieve, but believe. 
And I answered, My Lord, my God. He said to me, Do you believe because you have seen? Blessed are those who believe, but yet have not seen. Let's be honest. The reality of the resurrection is hard to believe. Someone was dead for three days and came back to life. Now, sometimes we may hear stories of someone who's been dead for 20 minutes or 30 minutes and somehow was resuscitated. But what we're talking about here isn't a resuscitation. This is someone who for three days laid in a tomb who had been brutally killed and comes back to life. This is something completely different, and we have to be honest that this is difficult to believe. And Thomas struggled, needing evidence. He said, I've got to see him. And Jesus met him where he was, and the result was, my Lord, my God, he believed. You see, some of us are like Thomas. We've heard, we've heard from the Marys, right, the ones that have gone and told, and we've heard about the resurrection of Jesus, and yet somehow we still doubt. We're not quite so sure. We need to see for ourselves. And you see, what it takes is a work of the person of Jesus in your heart to give you the faith to believe, to give you that belief and the trust in him to believe that it actually has happened. You see, he will do it. He will come and he will confirm in your heart. Jesus is the one that can lead you. If this morning you are one of those people that is in that point of doubt and I've heard it but I'm not sure that I believe it, Jesus is the one whom you should seek to come and to remove the doubt because he is the one that can lead you from that place of doubt to the place of belief, the place where you can say with Thomas, my Lord, my God. So what will you do as you're confronted with the resurrection of Jesus? Will you doubt or will you believe as Thomas did? Will you be one of those who, although you haven't seen him, have believed? As Jesus said, blessed are those who believe but who have not seen. We should all be like believing Thomas instead of doubting Thomas. Now we're going to return and hear once more from our witness Peter. Let's hear how things turned out for him after he had denied Jesus the night of his arrest from the Gospel of John, chapter 20 and chapter 21. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of us, his disciples. And when he had revealed himself a third time, after he had risen from the dead, he fed us breakfast. When we had finished breakfast, Jesus said to me, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to me, feed my lambs. He said to me a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? I said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to me, Tend my sheep. He said to me a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? I was grieved because he had said to me a third time, Do you love me? I said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. He said to me, 
feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, another will dress you and take you where you do not want to go. After saying this, he said to me, follow me. Follow me. Such a simple phrase and yet so loaded with meaning. You recall that Peter had four days earlier denied Jesus three times, knowing, denied knowing who Jesus even was. This after he had spent three years with Jesus, had witnessed miracle after miracle, had heard teaching after teaching, had himself walked on water, and yet at the moment of Jesus' greatest need, at the moment when Jesus was arrested, he couldn't even admit that he knew Jesus to a servant girl. Can you imagine the guilt that Peter had? Imagine the guilt that Peter lived with after that because he knew Jesus had turned and looked and seen him. They, their eyes met and he wept the guilt that he had over not standing up for Jesus at that moment. And I'm sure that for some of you it's not that hard to imagine because you live with a similar sort of guilt every day. That you are one who has been raised and you've seen, you've seen Jesus do all sorts of things in your life and yet when any kind of pressure comes, you're the one who says, no, I don't know Jesus. No, I'm not a follower of him. That for some of you, that guilt is just a reality every day. And you can imagine now, with that kind of guilt, Jesus pulling him aside. Right After, after he'd sent them to Galilee and Peter basically said, you know what, I'm going back to what I used to do. I'm going to go fishing tonight. I'm not, I'm not good enough to do this following Jesus thing anymore. And after fishing all night, Jesus appears on the shore and he jumps in. He flings himself into the water and swims to shore. He can't even wait for the boat to get there because he wants to be close to Jesus in spite of his guilt. And after breakfast, Jesus says, come on, let's take a walk. We're going to go down the beach. You just wonder what was going on in his mind as he's thinking, I wonder what Jesus wants to talk about. And they walk down the beach a little while, and it it seems like maybe John was kind of following him. And then Jesus stops, and he looks in Peter's eyes, and he says, Peter, do you love me? And I believe this morning that's the question that Jesus would want to ask every one of you. Do you love me? And that for those of you that say, yes, Jesus, you love me, he would want to do like he did with Peter. He'd want to say, really? You're sure you love me? He would ask you a second time, yes, yes, you know, you know that I love you. And yet even a third time to the point where as like with Peter, you might be grieved that he would begin to ask you those sorts of things and be brought to the point where Peter is, where Peter He can't even say with certainty himself, but he says, Lord, you know. You know that I love you. I I can't say on the basis of my life that I do, but you know that I love you. And the amazing thing here is Jesus doesn't ask these questions to condemn Peter. You you could have seen Jesus taking him aside and saying, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, I do. And he goes, no, you don't. Look what you did. You denied me. You couldn't even admit me to a servant girl. You couldn't. But Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, he's approaching Peter for Peter to admit yes and then to be restored and be given forgiveness. You see, he's offering to look beyond Peter's betrayal, beyond his inadequacies, beyond his weaknesses. And he doesn't want to, he's not going to treat Peter the way he has the right to, to say, no, you don't love me. But instead, 
he's going to forgive him. And after he forgives him, in spite of knowing every sin that Peter has committed, every sin he's going to commit, he looks at Peter and he says, follow me. You see, this is what Jesus calls all of us to do is to follow him, that when we're thinking about how we should respond to the resurrection, we should, like Peter, be those that, in spite of all of our weakness, in spite of everything that we've done, we can look and we can say, I know I can still follow Jesus. That his forgiveness is there for us, that because of the cross, because of his resurrection, sin and death have been destroyed, and therefore we can follow him, we can go after him. You see, the question for us this morning, how do we respond to the resurrection of Jesus. Like Mary, will we tell others? Like Thomas, will we doubt but yet believe when we see what Jesus has done? Will we be like Peter and will we follow? You see, it was their joy to tell others. It was their joy to believe. It was their joy to follow. That's how we should respond. Now, I told you earlier that what we celebrate this weekend is the climax of the story. But if you know the way stories work, they reach their climax and then they go off to a conclusion. And we have not yet reached the conclusion, and I want to share with you the conclusion of the story. Because that event that we remember today, the Jesus resurrection, was the beginning of a new creation where God said, I'm going to make this new creation, I'm going to make everything right, and I'm going to begin by raising Jesus from the dead so that he's the firstborn of all creation. But then he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to begin working, and I'm going to start raising other people from the dead. I'm going to take those that are dead in their sin and make them alive. And that's where we live now is in that part of the story where he's saying, I'm going to keep adding to my new creation that started with Jesus. I'm going to keep adding people and I'm going to be out there and I'm going to grab them. And that's why we need to go tell. And that's why we need to believe because he says that when we believe, we are taken from death into life, that we are made alive and we no longer need to fear death. And you see that process of new creation is going to continue until the day that he says, it's time for me to finish this whole thing. And the story comes to the amazing finale and climax conclusion. In the book of Revelation, I just want to read to you the words that John writes. At the end of the book, he says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before that throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, and that's the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. But then I saw... A new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Write these words. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. 
To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this as his heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. You see, the joyous new creation, that's the conclusion, and yet he tells us in the next verse. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Where will you be when the story ends? That's what I care about. And when I ask you, what is your response to the resurrection? It's because your response to the resurrection of Jesus shows where you will be on the last day. And my prayer and our prayer for you is that we all will be those who believe, who follow, and who go and tell. That should be our response to the resurrection of Jesus. Let me pray. Father, your plan is amazing far beyond anything we would imagine. Lord, for those of us that doubt, I pray that you would give faith. For those that are dead this morning, I pray that you would make them alive. Take your words and penetrate our hearts and allow us to be transformed and made into the image of Christ. Thank you so much for the resurrection. Lord, allow us just to rejoice and enjoy everything that you've done this morning. We pray in the matchless name of our Lord and our Savior and our King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.